You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, bringing you the very best in scholarship and apologetics. But today I was in a bar and I decided to invite my friend Greg West to come on instead. So uh, let's uh, just having some fun and let's tell you a little bit about Greg West because if you've been searching for apologetics information after yesterday's uh, announcement, chances are you might have come across this guy's website. Well, my guest is Greg West. He was raised in a faithful Christian family before he became an agnostic due to doubts about Christianity being the one true faith. After many years of being apathetic towards religion in general, he began to wrestle with worldview issues which caused him to take a critical look at his unbelief and the truth claims of Christianity. He says it wasn't that long before he began to see how the Christian worldview was the only one that made any sense. He rededicated his life to Christ and dove headlong into projects, even before really knowing what it was, and he started to see the serious need for apologetics in the church. As a layman, he continued to self-study apologetics, which led to his teaching apologetics classes in small groups at his local church. In 2010, he founded the Poached Egg Christian Worldview and Apologetics Network to better train and equip Christians and also to raise awareness of what others are doing in the field of apologetics and how it applies to the church in everyday Christian life. So, uh, Greg, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Hey, thank you, Nick. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. It's a great honor, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that soon, but tell my audience a little bit about who you are in case they don't know. I mean, we've given a, a kind of academic introduction, but can you get a little bit more personal about who you are? Sure. Uh, well, uh, like you said in that little intro there, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I mean, I was I was born on a Sunday morning. Uh, I wasn't in church that day, but the next Sunday I was, and and just about every you know Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Bible school revivals, everything in between. And uh, I remember uh, uh, being maybe six or seven. I really don't remember specifically how old, but uh, being in a uh, service uh, at the end of a, a Bible school, and uh, I, they gave an altar call, and I I, I just remember realizing that I, I I was a sinner in need of a savior, and uh, uh, so I, I gave my life to Christ then, and I was very active and and uh, in church and very enthusiastic about being a Christian, but kind of once I I, I grew up. Uh, I went in the army when I was uh, 20 years old, and and really was for for the first time out of my uh, Christian ghetto, and you know, and was exposed to other people of other faiths, people of other worldviews, people of no faith, uh, you know, skeptics, uh, people who are apathetic, and uh, you know, there, there was just some certain things that went on that caused me to to wonder if if Christianity was really true, because I, you know, other than you know, just being taught the Bible and and you know the Bible stories that we all grow up with, and and whatnot. You know, I I really had no foundation as to why I, I should believe it was true. And really, I just kind of used 
that doubt as an excuse to to kind of go my own way and uh, I just kind of drifted into agnosticism uh was really not that interested in religion anymore I was just kind of kind of done with it and just kind of wanted to do my own thing but but over the years uh you know situations in the world uh and stuff it just really kind of started to to weigh on my mind and uh you know like I, like I said worldview issues uh, you know, how does the world make sense, you know, and, and it just made me start thinking like, you know, if, well, if there's no God, then, then life is ultimately meaningless because all we can do is just make our own meaning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, thinking about evolution, you know, I, at one point I had a roommate who was an atheist and, uh, I just couldn't go that, I just couldn't go that far. I thought, well, now this has got to be, we've, we had to have come from somewhere for some reason. And, uh, you know, it just maybe over a year or so of, of really wrestling with these things. And I knew enough about the Bible uh, from growing up that really uh, the Bible is the only religious book that accurately describes the human condition and uh, really lines up with reality. And uh, so, you know, I wasn't in a church service or anything when I rededicated my life to Christ. It was just kind of a a decision just me and God you know I was I was just sitting in my apartment and I thought if this is true then then that's what I want to follow and uh, I, I started getting into apologetics like I said before I even really knew what it was uh, I think the first time I heard that word I was like apologetics what are we people apologizing you know it's like well mm-hmm. yeah they, we are but that's really not what that word means we're not saying we're sorry but uh uh Somehow, uh, I can't remember if it was uh, I heard about it on the radio or, or I just ran across it in in a bookstore. But uh, I saw Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. Oh yes. Uh, well, this this looks interesting, and it's because it's kind of what you know. I I, I didn't want to use doubt as an excuse uh, ever again, and I just really wanted to know why I should believe Christianity was true. Mm-hmm. And so I read that book, just cover to cover almost in one sitting i mean maybe probably not quite but mm-hmm. and i was like uh and, and i've got to tell lee this uh, personally which I'm, I'm thankful for that opportunity but uh I, I thought why hadn't anyone told me any of this stuff before oh yes because i really think if if i'd have had a historical foundation you know uh, you know about the life of christ and the resurrection that I probably wouldn't have been so quick to to dismiss Christianity. I probably would have thought about it a lot more critically. And uh, uh, so, of course, you, you've probably read that book, and you know that you know the scholarship that mm. that he uh, uh, interviews and and whatever you know, Robbie Zacharias, William Lane Craig, Gary Habermas. I mean, the, the list goes on. Well, Robbie wasn't in that one. No, that was the case for faith, I think, yeah. which I read next. I, I, I consumed that one next. Uh, the case for creator had, wasn't, hadn't been released yet, but I snagged that one too. And Lee Strobel was kind of my introduction to apologetics, and it just fascinated me to no end. And, and I really wondered why this wasn't being taught in church, or at least the church I grew up in. And uh, so I, I just started studying it just personally and I realized it gave me confidence in my faith it it gave me confidence in sharing my faith because you know I, I actually knew why I believed what I believed and wasn't just a, oh just have you know you weren't just asking people just to have faith you know 
you know, for faith's sake. So uh, I'm really thankful for for Lee Strobel for that, and uh, I, so I've just kind of just kind of took off from there. Yeah, some of the people that Lee Strobel's interview, and by the way, I consider Lee Strobel as the guy who lit my fire with apologetics as well. Some of the people he interviewed, they've been on the show: Paul Copan, Mike Lacona, Craig Blomberg. Daniel Wallace, I mean, I'm looking, Craig Evans, I'm looking at a list of people I've had on the show, and some of them have shown up, Ben Witherington, Gary Habermas, and so, yeah, he he's really been a gift to the church with regards to this. And yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. I think he's uh, kind of responsible, uh, maybe not single-handedly. Of course, Josh McDowell has been doing it for years and other people, but he really opened up the door for apologetics for laymen yep. you know that hey this isn't just for you know us egg, eggheads or whatever you want to yeah. you know you know I, i'm not a scholar you know i'm just uh, self self-educated but uh he opened the door and and uh and then of course i think after 9-11 especially uh, there became a renewed interest in apologetics and and it's still growing and i i, I hope to see it keep going yeah i mean I never drifted away or anything like that, but I do remember when I was growing up in church, no one told me anything about this stuff. Right. No one. We didn't even know that it existed. And then I went off to Bible college, and I found out about it. And I always say, before too long, my parents were starting to panic every time I came home from a bookstore because I had arms and arms of books. I'm like, where right. are we going to put all of these books? But I keep thinking... If I had known about this earlier in my life, think of all the years I've been spending studying and learning and doing things. Because for me, Christianity had been more about just, you know, being a good person. And right. That sort. And it's really about so much more. Yes. Now, when we were getting set for this show, what had happened was using out a message on Facebook to several people, myself being on the list as well. And... You were saying you had a fifth anniversary coming up of a poached egg, and you wanted to get the word out about it. And I thought, geez, what can I do? What can I, oh, that's something I can do. Hey, would you like to come on the show and talk about it? Absolutely. Yeah. And as it was, I also told you, to give my own plug, that I was also celebrating a fifth anniversary this year. Yes, and congratulations. You mean that... Was it five years of deeper waters? And I said, no, next month, Allie and I celebrate five years of marriage. So, yes, congratulations, five years. And so far, she's she's uh, demonstrated great patience and hasn't killed me yet. <laughs> I know that feeling as well. Yeah, I, 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 although she does say something about a baseball bat being under her side of a bed. So I, 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 I kind of learn to sleep with when I open sometimes. Yeah, my my wife's got a gun, so I, oh. I got to be careful there. She's a enthusiastic shooter. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about the uh, the poached egg here. Okay, now some people are, might be wondering, and this is something I even asked once. I can't believe my mind forgot this. Where does the name the poached egg came from? Oh, uh, I I get that asked that a lot, and uh, I, I never get tired of answering it. But uh, it's a it alludes to a quote uh, by C.S. Lewis from mere Christianity and the thing was when when I decided to start an apologetics website I I had no idea what to name it I was racking my brain trying to look up 
you know, apologetics.com was taken and, you know, of course, and, and several variations of that. And, and I'd actually just finished reading Mere Christianity. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, the focus of the website, you know, I mean, we, we talk about intelligent design and science and, and all kinds of stuff, but, but the focus is, is who is Christ? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we all have to, you know, you can, we either just ignore him all our lives or we really have to come to terms with who, who we think he is or, or who we can know he is. And, uh, so, so, uh, that quote is, is, uh, from C.S. Lewis, what's become known as the trilemma argument, uh, right. which still gets a lot of criticism today, uh, undue criticism, I think, but, uh, uh, where C.S. Lewis said that either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was a liar or a lunatic on the level of someone that thinks they're a poached egg. And uh, I, I just, that just kind of struck me as, I, I thought, well, if I name it the poached egg, people are just going to visit out of curiosity to figure out what that's all about, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, plus, it just kind of sticks in people's mind. And of course, you know, people that are familiar with that quote uh, a lot of times get it. And some people, they know the quote, but they just don't put two and two together. But, right. but uh, I, I just thought it was a cool opportunity for, for a kind of a different odd duck sounding name. And, and uh, well, it seems to have done pretty well. So, hmm. Now, what, what is the purpose of your site? The purpose of my site is just, I really wanted to help people that were like me because my story is not uncommon. Uh, yep. Now you said you did. You never lost your faith or or whatever. But I think anybody that's grown up in the church, sooner or later, is going to have a crisis of faith. You yeah. know, it's going to be: is this my parents' faith? Is this my church's faith? Mm-hmm. You know, we have to make that faith our own. Now, I did go through that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you weathered it well. I I, I didn't. And uh, I'm not really trying to point fingers and say, well, it was a church's fault or it was my parents' fault. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was my own fault for, for, for not looking into these things. Uh, but at the same time, I really wasn't aware that there were answers available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, number one, I just want to help Christians know that what we believe is is reasonable and that it's not just blind faith. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that I want to eradicate that whole concept of, of blind faith, you know, and I still get a lot of criticism from Christians, you know, fellow Christians saying, oh, you just get, you know, apologetics takes away from faith or whatever. And, and one thing I always say is, is apologetics isn't so we need, we'll need less faith, it's so we'll have more faith. Mm. Uh, and so, number one, I just want to give uh, Christians that, that confidence in, in what they believe and to help them know uh, why they believe what they believe, uh, but also in evangelism. You know, uh, I think uh, it was uh, the one-minute apologist, uh, he said that, uh, you know, if you're not if you're not aware of the need for apologetics, then you're probably not evangelizing, you know. And I think yeah. uh, Lee Strobel would probably say the same thing because, you know, it, you know I remember back when I was a kid, you know, uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it seemed like most people, whether they were Christians or not, still kind of conformed to a Christian worldview. You know, it's like they believed in God and, oh, you know, they, they believed that J- Jesus was actually a real person, you know. And it seemed like, 
you know, if, if you get them to realize that they were a sinner in need of a savior, you know, you you were pretty much there. Uh, mm-hmm. But but today, you know, it's like you've got to get people. You know, it's it's like if you witness to somebody and they say, "Well, I don't believe in God, so I, I don't believe in sin." Or you know, so where are you going to go from there? Either either you just drop it there, or or uh, you know, you can you can help them work those things out. And I what I found in my experience. Uh, is that most people are not hardcore Christian haters, hardcore skeptics, or whatever. Most people people are pretty open to talking about it, actually. And if you can develop relationships with people uh, and just just help them work these things out, you know that's that that's really uh, you know. So for evangelism, you mm-hmm. able to help that skeptic overcome the their questions. Uh, or questions about Christianity. Yeah, when it comes to evangelism, I've had some people use this kind of line of, uh, with, with a project, that don't defend your faith, let God do that. And I always turn and say the same thing in response. Do you take the same approach to evangelism? And when you talk about the just have faith, when, when I was in New Orleans back in January, I spent a lot of time with Tim McGrew, which should mm-hmm. be a shock to anyone. Right. And we were at a house he was staying at a very set up for him and he had a bunch of other students over and we were all talking about any of these young people going out on the beach with their church to do evangelism and such and when they came up they'd get these hard questions where we thought well that's why it's called faith. Right. And at that point I'm just face palming Absolutely. Yeah. But most people don't have any clue whatsoever what faith is. Right. And the new atheists have been particularly leading in this charge with this whole thing about faith is believing about evidence. And I keep on my computer something I typed out from Pilch and Molina's handbook of biblical social values about a definition of faith and faithfulness and what it meant to the ancient world. And I put that up and to say, yeah, this is something that has real scholarly support behind it. What do you have? Right. You know, I, uh, it kind of reminds me of a, a quote. Uh, I, I think it was, uh, oh, it was either Spurgeon or uh, Francis Schaeffer. I, I think both of them said similar things, but uh, they said that Christians should be so committed to the truth that uh, if it was found to be false, we should be the first ones to to be willing to throw it away. And mm-hmm. I think that's true. Uh, you know, when someone asks, uh, and I get asked this a lot, is is what you know would make you walk away from the faith? And I'm like, well, show me that isn't true. Right. You know, uh, you know, just show me that, demonstrate it how Jesus didn't that he didn't rise from the dead. How that's not the uh, best explanation of, of the historical facts, or or show me a worldview that that makes everything fit in place mm-hmm. as well or better than Christianity does, and they just can't do it. Never. Yeah, I've uh, been reading lately uh, Jerry Coyne's book, Faith versus Fact. Yes, yes, I put myself in this kind of suffering regularly. I must be a masochist of some kind and such. But anyway, he's got a statement there and unfortunately I didn't save it. You know, I thought I had these comments saved on my computer but I guess I don't but 
he talks about where what it, would it take me to uh, tentatively consider Christianity? It would be about having seen, having this experience where a figure comes down who describes himself as Jesus with myriads of angels and he goes to the local hospital and heals everyone and everyone else sees this and, get, and it gets documented, it gets put on videotape there are no natural explanations and where then I might start considering things. Right. And it, it, it's so bizarre when I see these kinds of things. Peter Bogosian has used Lawrence Krauss's thing about all the stars in the sky coming together and spelling out I'm Yahweh, believe in me and everyone else sees this in their own language and even Peter Bogosian though adds but you know we could all be experiencing a delusion so it wouldn't be conclusive and I think Bill Maher is talking about touchdown Jesus like Jesus coming down during the Super Bowl right and, and so I mean coordinates book and he has, has this kind of line and he says and when I ask uh, Christians what it would take to convince them otherwise I don't get anything hardly and I said, well, uh, you give me a better explanation for uh, the arise of the early church and the resurrection. Okay, I'll abandon Christianity. And you give me a disproof of God's existence and refute all the proofs that we do have. And yeah, I'll abandon theism. But when I see these kinds of statements from the atheists, it makes it clear to me. It's like, okay, so what you're saying is until you have an experience, you will not abandon atheism, which means all the arguments I could put forward in the world, you're going to already say they're not conclusive because you haven't had an experience. Now, which one of us is being the more rational and open-minded here? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is, it's it's evidential and experiential. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think uh, apologists, we tend to uh, shy away from the experience uh, part of it, which I don't think we... Uh, need to so much as we do, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's there's uh, evidence that backs up that experience, and I've I, I've got a copy of it, but I'm looking forward to I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to reading uh, Lee Strobel's Case for Grace, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of what that's about. Uh, I, I feel bad that I've had it for so long and mm-hmm. haven't tackled it yet, but of course the the pile the unread pile gets gets taller than the red pile does. Yeah. Well, you're a step ahead of me there. I hadn't even heard that it was out yet, but I, I understand what you're saying about the unread power because mine keeps growing and growing, <clears throat> and at the same time, I keep getting more and more books to which I've had to say, yes, yes, I do have a problem. I need to <laughs> learn how to sleep less. <laughs> I think I have more books than I'll be able to read in my lifetime. That's that's So I can definitely relate to that. Oh, yes, and the Kinder makes it even more difficult because you can get so many books there. Which, that's a... And good ones. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because you actually do a great favor for those of us who love our Kindars. Well, yeah, uh, I maintain a page. Uh, if you go to our website at the, uh, net, uh right in the middle of the top mm-hmm. navigation bar, uh, we have what a uh, little link that says apologetic store. Uh, and if you click on the top one of those links, it'll take you to a page that I maintain. Uh, and it, it fluctuates like, uh, earlier this week I had, I think 235 books on there. Uh, I think it's down to like 220 right now. Uh, but there are a lot of good books, uh, by under the radar people that are, you can usually get pretty cheap, uh, but there's also uh, 
a lot of really great books by outstanding scholars. Oh yeah. Uh, or you know we'll we'll go on sale for for a week or so at like you know ninety nine cents to to dollar ninety nine and anyway this list we maintain uh, uh, it's that you won't find a book there that's over five ninety nine you'll find many for ninety nine cents and uh, uh, some are you know we we offer some freebies if you follow us on Kindle or, or not Kindle uh, uh, t- Twitter or or Facebook we have a uh, actually, a separate page pages for those, and uh, boy, you can really get some good stuff for for pretty dirt cheap. And mm-hmm. just an example of some of the great uh, we've had just about all of Lee Strobel's books on there: uh, Jay Warner Wallace, uh, Cold Case for Christianity, uh, Tactics by Greg Kokel, uh, you know R.C. Sproul, and and Ravi's. Right now, there's two Ravi's Zacharias books on sale for two ninety nine each. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so the, you know, that would be for someone interested in learning apologetics or even going deeper. Uh, and it's not just apologetics; we have books on evangelism, books on theology, and uh, church history. Know, in, uh, yeah, church history, uh, getting into the, you know, studying the Bible and hermeneutics and stuff like that. So, so it's really a great resource for for not just people interested in apologetics, but but all avenues of Christianity. Yeah, it's one of the highlights of my day, honestly, when I look and see the free books and see what's coming out. And some that I remember, uh, Ben Riverington's What Have They Done With Jesus, that was on sale for a while. And, uh, 99 cents. Oh, excellent oh. read, Money Well Spent. Um, Michael Bird's book, The Gospel of the Lord, I think it was three ninety yep. nine when it came out. If you only have a few bucks, you can go and get on your Kindle. And you can get these books. It's like, well, I don't have a Kindle. Where with Amazon, you can go to get a free Kindle app for your computer, and you can read at your computer as if you had a Kindle. Now, I'll grant that's not the way I prefer reading. I prefer having that Kindle right there. But if that's what you want to do, then you can do that. Yeah, and I actually do that. I don't have a Kindle, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I do have the free Kindle app. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, just in free and cheap books, I, I, my Kindle library has grown probably about the size of my regular book library, which mm-hmm. is actually pretty pretty extensive. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, the the unread pile gets a lot taller than the red pile does. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just gonna keep at it. As I sit here in my office, I've got five big bookshelves and one smaller one and there are four and there are books on top of books and then there are more books in the living room a few more in the bedroom and this keep in mind that even before I got married a few years ago because we had some space limitations I said well you're going to have to get rid of some of your books and so no. I, I yeah I ended up parting with about 100 or 150 or so and I had my friends come in first and say okay look take what you want it's my gift and even then, I've still got tons of books, and I do a lot of work with IVP, and so they send me out their quarterly catalog, and yeah. I get to choose five, three books each time. Every now and then, they'll throw in a special one and send out a book just to me as well. And so, yeah, there, there's a, there's a whole stack of books. I mean, my mother was over here today, and she saw the book sitting next to my chair. I said, what? What's that? Says, that's a my two V pal. All of that. Yep. 
So, for, for those of you out there who think that I'm able to read everything I get my hands on, no. No, I'm not. I do not manage to do that. <laughs> yeah, we, we every now and then we have to realize we have a family and, you know, yep. put the book down or put the computer away or, or the Kindle or whatever it is. Yeah. Now, let's uh, talk about that aspect a little bit because, I mean, when you start talking about a, you were born on a Sunday and you weren't in church that Sunday, I remember Hmm, well, I got married when I was 29, and it was a Saturday, and yes, we did miss church that next day. We were on our way to the beach then, for our honeymoon. But other than that, the very next Sunday, we were back in church, and you got married when you were 42, which for most people is waiting quite a bit, but on the other hand, I'm sure I've got a lot of single guy friends who are listening and thinking, there's hope! <laughs> yes, there is. There is. Now, it would seem like if you're managing a website and doing all these other things, and you share so many blogs, and I kind of wonder, how, someone could ask, how do you get the time to do all of this and still have a family? Well, that is a good question, and uh, I tell you, if I did everything that I needed to do, uh, well, I could I could easily work if I were physically able. Uh, I could work twenty four seven on the website and still not get everything done that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh well, you know, he finds some links and posts the links and you know little snippets of stories and that that's all there there is to that. But uh, there's actually more to uh, promoting a website than as I'm sure you're familiar with than just putting up content. You know, it's uh, you've got to go out there and and get people to to come to you you know and of course uh, our advertising budget is zero dollars so we depend on you know getting the word out through social media and and and, you know for people sharing our posts on their social media page and retweeting or whatever Um, but yeah I I, uh, kind of the day-to-day operations I kind of have down for uh, you know, certain times, you know, like first thing in the morning, I'll check the Kindle deals to make sure what I've got's current and see what's new and, and what's expired as far as being a, on sale. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I have a news feed, uh, you know, from the hundreds of, of apologetics-related blogs and websites that I follow. I, waters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I go through and just kind of – there's really no – you know, it's just kind of a helter skelter. I kind of just whatever's coming across my my screen first, you know, is kind of what gets picked. I actually have a a backlog of almost a thousand posts that that I thought uh, are a good fit, but you know, I just can't. You can only post so much, you know. I mean, if you post too much, mm-hmm. people are gonna you know complain, and if you don't post enough, people are gonna complain. But I think we've got kind of fell into a good routine. We post kind of on the hour during the day during the prime time uh, usually on the blog there's going to be about uh, probably roughly eight to ten uh, new posts a day not not on the weekends so I kind of take a break on the weekends but yeah um, really just uh, uh, you know I just kind of do a regular work day eight to ten hours a day and and of course uh, since I work from home I, I have a flexible you know I can have meetings or, or whatever I uh, 
just a couple of weeks ago, I had a meeting with uh, about a half a dozen local pastors on uh, getting apologetics into their churches, and that was very exciting. So things like that, I, I have the luxury of being able to kind of set my own schedule and do. But as far as the day-to-day, I just kind of keep it, you know, I mean, there's times when I'll work extra if I've got, if there's something, you know, uh, urgent going on, but but mostly I I take the evenings off and spend with my family, just uh, like most people, and and uh, you know you you just have to. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I'd rather you know I need I my family is about one of my highest priorities. You know, my second to my relationship with with God. So yeah, I find I follow the same kind of pattern. I usually get up in the morning and I try to write the blog as early as I can, so pretty much I have the rest of the day to do the study, to do things with my own family and such, and we don't have any kids yet, but yeah. I, I still do things with Allie, and she can't drive, so I have to do a lot of the driving here, and I don't complain about that, I'm just stating the fact, <clears throat> but I try and keep things nearby so I can monitor Facebook or anything like that, see what's going on, and oftentimes I also refer other people in Fred because, hey, um, I know sometimes some people have are better equipped on some topics than I am and might be able to make more of a time investment. That's why I think it's so important to have a network of people around you rather than you trying to do everything on your Absolutely. own. Absolutely. And if I sit down and do any hobbies, which usually it's gaming for me. That's the time I pick to also listen to a podcast or iTunes U or something like that so I can do two things at once. And yes, I've told how I, you know, something you could get me for anniversary or birthday is a Kindle speaker travel kit thing. So that way when I'm driving, I can be listening to my books on Kindle. Right on. I mean, Curing two birds of one stone. I'm I'm still waiting for these self-driving cars to get here, so <laughs> I can sit there and read a book while my car does all the work. Absolutely. But what uh, I also tell people, and it's a great danger in the area of apologetics, is that you're not married to your ministry. You're married right. to your spouse. And Absolutely. if and there are several other people that can go out there and do what you do. I mean, if something happened to you tomorrow, someone else could take over a post egg. If something happened to me, someone else could take over Depot Waters. Right. There's no one else right now, though, who can be a husband to our wives or could be a parent to children. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my, my stance is if, if you succeed in apologetics, but you don't succeed in being a a good spouse or a good parent, I count you as a failure overall. I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can just seem that, that we, we have to point this out because, I mean, I, I think a lot of people can get the idea that people like us spend all our time doing apologetics and really it's not the case. And even as much as I love it, there are sometimes like, yeah, I got to do something else for a little bit and a lot of people have learned on Facebook for instance that when Sunday comes around you're not going to find me posting on Facebook I mean that because that's one day I take a break from the debates and such it has to be a real emergency that gets me doing something on that day 
Right. Yeah, that's same here. I, I can work as much on the weekends as I do during the week, but I usually limit it just to uh, two two new posts on the weekends, you know, kind of a uh, – I do a, a links, you know, kind of a, a what I call apologetics hit and miss, which I, I pick a dozen stories that may or may not be like – a good fit for what I normally post, like 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 a lot of podcasts, a lot of videos, uh, interviews, uh, maybe some stuff that might be a little more scholarly and and longer in length, or or something that might be too short. So on the weekends, you'll you'll uh, and you'll get that uh, to keep you going. And uh, uh, of course, the Kindle deals. Uh, I always do the top ten sellers of the week on Saturday, and and uh, but yeah, I I. I usually limit it to to a uh, couple hours a day on the weekends and and uh of course if I ever go on vacation I we've got extensive archives that that you know I can load up in the buffer and just mm. just keep it going whether I'm actually there physically working on it or or on vacation so now you talk about when particularly busy times come up so I'm to get a bit more active were you very active yesterday Yes, uh, most yeah yeah mostly just uh, taking it all in. Um, I try not to do when, when things like this happen. Of course, you're talking about the Supreme Court uh, decision that was expected. Uh, when I, I try not to do a knee jerk uh, reaction and just kind of you know and start posting about it. I, I try to just relax a little bit, take a deep breath, see everything that's coming in. And uh, of course, we we uh, posted one resource page on it yesterday, and so so although we we put a lot of information out, it was just kind of one time and one little post. And of course, in the next few weeks, as 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 re- people's reactions start coming in, we'll be uh, picking some of the best of those articles to post. But but again, uh, we're not just going to take something and, and run it in the ground. I mean, once we've we've covered it we'll just move on. I'm not saying it'll go away, but, yeah. but you know, mm-hmm. we're just not going to make that our, our prime focus because really uh, the focus is discipleship and evangelism. And that's mm-hmm. where I would the focus. I mean, we, we do commentary on current issues a, a lot too, but, but uh, I want to keep it focused on the discipleship and, and worldview training and, and uh, getting people out there to evangelize. And do you have to say that yesterday, I think it it is a good demonstration about how important apologetics is in the church because there are even many Christians that are out there celebrating what happened. Absolutely. And I I know Allie has had some friends going after her and using the same kind of cliched statements that you'd you'd see anywhere else. And I'm just saying, don't you think about these kinds of issues at all. I mean, do, do you sit back and ever consider, geez, what is marriage and what is it really all about? And, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we're starting to see. I mean, there are some people who are already saying, you know, within a few years, we're going to start seeing some serious persecution going on here in America. Oh, absolutely, and, and and people are so oblivious to it, uh, especially those who are, uh, I don't know, maybe culturally impaired, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, who who think that that church needs to conform with the contemporary culture. Well, that's that's just 
that's just a false belief right out mm-hmm. right out the, right out the gate you know and mm-hmm. and uh, uh and my biggest problem with with Christians is they were just getting lazy yeah and not getting we are lazy and and uh, you know apologetics has been around since Moses you know mm-hmm. uh you know so it's nothing new and and but in the early uh when in the early church uh, you know first and second century i mean christian leaders were also thinkers you know i mean mm-hmm. you can't read paul and peter uh or just about any of the apostles without realizing that they were critical thinkers they weren't just people that accepted things on blind faith mm-hmm. you know peter said you know, hey, we didn't just make this stuff up. We we witnessed this with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I tell you, uh, uh, one of the things that's an apologetic for me is, is seriously either either Christianity is the greatest hoax of all time, mm-hmm. uh, or it's true. I mean, mm-hmm. there's really no middle ground because, I mean, if if you think of the if if it was a hoax, the the cons- what the logistics that would have to be involved to pull it off are just mind-boggling. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I like a, a, a quote from uh, the late Chuck Colson, whom I greatly respect. He said, "He said I know the resurrection isn't a host because you know you're talking twelve men who 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 uh, kept proclaiming the resurrection through you know through persecution and, and death for most of them and." And uh, he said it, it was Watergate that proved it for him because here you had 12 guys that couldn't keep a secret for three weeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, it really shows, though, the lack of education that we've had in the church, and especially how much our church has just moved with, well, you know, if it feels like that, well, right. that's the way it, it should be and I'm not saying this to argue against feelings but when we become primary you have a problem going on and right. there is really very little looking at scripture or in fact in this kind of case and people say well if your holy book didn't say that you wouldn't be having this attitude and I'll just say to them okay you know what I didn't bring up the bible at all you did. I didn't bring up God at all. You did, but okay. Right. For the sake of discussion, we're going to throw up the Bible. We're going to throw out my theism for a moment. Just say we're going to look at this and say, is this right? Is this wrong? And they, they, there's still no answer. And it, it's and then the other kind of thing I'm thinking is people would come and say, well, the Bible also says such and such and such such tells me we haven't taught people how to read the Bible. Either they do, they do not know how to study scripture. They just pick anything out that they want. Right. That kind of reminds me of a verse in uh, 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 Colossians. I think it's Colossians two eight about uh, uh, you know don't don't follow vain philosophy or something yeah. like that. And uh, and a lot of people will quote that verse at me as a reason to not do apologetics because you know there's so much philosophy. Uh, uh, involved in it, and mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, you, you're not even, you don't even know what that verse means. It's like, it's like they just stopped there and didn't read the rest of it, you know. Mm-hmm. 
it was talking about vain and foolish philosophy, yeah. worldly philosophy, yeah. you know, not thinking about uh, thinking rightly about things. It's not saying not to do philosophy. Yeah. It's saying to do philosophy, but do it right. Yeah. When uh, you were talking about how the church has got lazy, I've told Allie this several times. That think about how when uh, Chick-fil-A Day came, okay, churches and so many other people, I mean, there were non-Christians involved in this who were supporting us as well, but right. it was largely Christians. We went out there we rallied our cause. Chick-fil-A's sales soared that day beyond anything else. And it was unprecedented. This was a giant victory, I think, for us. And after this great victory, we went home and did absolutely nothing else of the momentum that we had. And then when Duck Dynasty got in trouble with A&E, we called our cable companies. We were disconnecting our cables. We were protesting. We had a Facebook page set up immediately with a million likes within a weekend <clears throat> demanding that Duck Dynasty return. We gave the same treatment to Cracker Barrel when they tried to remove their stuff, and Cracker Barrel so quickly relented, and then A&E relented, and we had everything back, and we had this massive victory, and there we went on, and we did absolutely nothing else whatsoever. It, I mean, the homosexual lesbian, you atheist, Muslims, they wouldn't do anything like that. If they gain a victory, they are going to keep right on going, as they should, you know? But for Christians, when we get our needs and when we get what we want, we stop right there. Yeah, we do, and and, and it's sad. Um, you know, I mean, we're seeing a growth in apologetics, but it feels yeah. like... Uh, we're taking baby steps. Uh, yeah. You know, I want to take some giant steps. Uh, I believe that, uh, uh, and I'm kind of echoing uh, former Ratio Christie president. Uh, Blake Anderson? Uh, no, uh, Rick, Rick Shanker. Yeah. Uh, he always said that he believed that uh, the next great awakening is, is going to be uh, because of getting apologetics in. You know, I, yeah. I'm thinking if if we had people armed for evangelism equ mm -hmm. or equipped for evangelism, oh, yeah. you know, there'd be there'd be nothing stopping us. And and uh you know, uh it, you know, I, I posted a quote by Jay Warner Wallace the other day, you know, he he said most churches are still uninterested in defending uh the faith or, mm -hmm. or training uh people in discipleship. And I think it's sad. Uh I mean you and I were kind of uh uh, like we're, we're in the community, you know, so we see apologetics all around us all the time. But we have to keep in mind that most Christians do not know what apologetics is. Most pastors don't know what apologetics is. And, uh, you know, discipleship is first uh, and foremost the responsibility of the parents. Mm -hmm. But when they go to church and they have no idea what apologetics is or why we need it, it's not going to be taught in the home because they're clueless. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's why we need pastors. Uh, and thankfully, there are a lot of the uh, blog posts we post are, are written by pastors. Of course, we've got people by like uh, uh, Jim Jim Wallace mentioning him again. He he he's been a pastor and a youth pastor, and and uh, uh, many others have as well. Uh, you know, so you know we just got to keep banging the drum and you know apologetics isn't the end all be all 
of Christianity, but it helps you do Christianity right because it helps you think rightly about things. You know, I can't to these days I can't go to a a, a movie, a fictitious movie, without sitting there and analyzing. Oh yeah. You know, it's like wow, they can't do that. You know, it's like well, you know, I'm like even in the construct of their fantasy world they've created that's against you know you know so it, it's kind of fun and annoying <laughs> yeah. to my wife at the same time but uh but you know we're just not you know it needs to start in the home but we need the pastors to get on board to tell people you know and to train people and mm-hmm. uh you know like i said i met with half a dozen pastors a few weeks ago and no zero apologetics training in their churches you know and and so we've just got to change this and it's up to and you know uh, layman you know don't wait for your pastor or your son to take the initiative and just mm-hmm. start learning there is no excuse because the wealth of material is just endless and but sadly enough nick that the information that we have it's it's not being found because the information that the enemy has uh, is just so much more out. I mean, yeah. very few. Like I said, we said earlier that very few people are actually, you know, anti-Christians, mm-hmm. you know, hyper-skeptic, you know, people. But but because we're so afraid of offending people these days, oh, yeah. you know, like oh, we, yeah, we don't want to put a cross up and offend you. You know, I've had atheists tell me that, hey, the Constitution guarantees my freedom from religion. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't say anything even close to that. Mm-hmm. You know, no, we're not, you know, the the right to not be offended is not a constitutional uh, right, you know. And, and uh, I say, hey, if you're offended, too bad. Yeah, I you shared know? something on my Facebook yesterday with an <coughs> image that said, I apologize to everyone if I haven't offended you. Please be patient. I will get to you shortly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have to give a little plug then for my own church. Allie and I attend The Point in Knoxville, which is a Lutheran church. And something that amazed me the very first time I went there, and it still always amazes me, is that the start of the service, they have this little announcement come up because we meet in a movie theater. It comes up on the screen and says, if you have any questions in the service, Text them in to this question, and we will come out at the end, and we will address your question. Wow. Why are people not doing that? I mean, that is so simple. They come out at the end. Every now and then there will be a really difficult one, and the pastor will say, well, you know, this one is going to require a lot more time. I'm going to put up a video log this week, and it's going to be on website, so you watch this week, and that will come out, and that will address this question. I mean, I can understand if it's a if it's a difficult question like that, and you need some time to answer it out further than you can give a church sure. already. Sure, but generally we just answer these questions. And I'm already talking with him. We're getting arrangements set because <clears throat> it looks like I'm going to be teaching a class soon, which would be a four-week series on the historical Jesus. Outstanding. And I'm I'm guessing most people would be stunned to hear about this and. I, I really hate to say it, but I'm, the first question I'm going to have to spend my class answering is, did Jesus exist? I mean, it, yeah. This is, if you went to the Society of Biblical Literature, and I don't care if you went to a whole room full of non-Christian New Testament scholars and started 
say <clears throat> the case for mythicism right there, you'd be responded with laughter because yeah. they don't take it seriously. And yet on the internet, everyone seems to take it seriously. It's like, yep, guys, there are people out here that think this way. You have to address this. And then we're going to go on from there with ending in the resurrection. And I suspect a lot of people would be surprised to hear it goes more beyond just the Bible tells me so. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, when we've also been talking about this idea of not offending people, I, I can't help but think that the most quoted Bible verse we have today also is Matthew 7, 1. Oh, gosh. Over here, judge not over and over. And uh, I I remember that uh, when I was living in Charlotte, and I, I had a roommate for a while, and then... There was this girl that came along, and for some reason he decided it'd be a good time to move out. Then, I, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with my marrying that girl in a few months after that and such. So no, it wasn't anything more or anything like that. But he said, yeah, you two are going to get hitched. I can see it. It's time I find another place. <laughs> and uh, he did, and he was living with someone who'd had a stroke when they were 16 or so in, in a wheelchair, and he had to live in the system. And a nurse came in every now and then. And she was talking to this good lady. She was a Christian, and she's talking about all these events going on. So she said, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to judge. And I just listened to her. I said, I, I have something to ask you. Because uh, this was really expensive living area, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they had a coffee machine up there that would cost more than your car would cost. And anyway, so I said, okay, I've got a question for you here. Is your car downstairs? Yeah, yeah, it is. Are the doors locked? Oh! That's when the lights clicked. And I said, yeah, the thing is, you have to judge. You cannot avoid judging. And yet so many no. Christians today look and say, well, I don't want to judge. Well, yeah, you are judging. And you know what? You should judge. Yeah, you can't you can't function through life without making judgment mm-hmm. and and even judging other people. Uh, you know, of course, we both know that that uh, scripture is about uh, judging hypocri- hypocritically. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not a commandment not to judge because that would just be completely absurd mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I tell you, Nick, every time. You know, I might post something that's that's critical of, of a particular false teaching or false teacher, and I will just get blasted by Christians saying, don't judge, don't judge. It's like, mm. you know, it's like how many times did Christ, you know, uh, warn us against false teachers and, yeah. and uh, Paul, you know, saying, you know, get the false teachers, if, if you know, confront them. If they don't shape up, yeah. get rid of them, you know, and uh, – you know, we just got too many. Well, he's doing some good. You know, it's like, well, no, if you're not teaching uh, salvation through Christ alone uh, and the resurrection, then then no, you know, you're not doing any good. Yeah, something about the resurrection. Every now and then, our church also plays some interesting little videos. You know, get us in a good mood and such before the service starts. And when it's about our church, they know we're not perfect. We're sinners, things like that. It says we're just uh, people are united. Coming on, believing, being in the bodily, res- embracing the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, and, yes. And by the way, at our church, we believe that actually happened. And whenever I see that, I want to cheer at yeah. that point. Like, yes, yes, this is what we're 
are here for me. I think if we properly came to church dressed, it wouldn't be we'd be wearing fancy suits and dresses and ties and things like that. No, no, we'd come in wearing combat gear with our helmets on, such because we are being, we are supposed to be being equipped for war when we go right. to church and getting our marching orders. And that kind of goes back to what we're talking about, about uh, the church being unequipped uh, and really being no excuse mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, a pastor, you know, he's yeah. got so much played on his already, yeah. you know, but but just to learn the basic arguments for Christianity is not that tough. Right. Uh you know, just a few minutes of a day, you know, like like you could get on the poached egg and read one or two articles a day that aren't going to take you more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could get an introductory book like uh, The Case for Christ or mm-hmm. Cold Case Christianity. Yeah. Very, you know, uh, you know, and and so, but, <coughs> excuse me, Nick, <coughs> but also pastors, uh, they don't have to carry the weight on their own. They can right. find some people that are interested in this stuff, and there's going to be one, at least one or two in every church, probably yep. more if you if you look. Yep. And you start equipping people uh, uh, to help you out. Uh, and, you know, and I look, a lot of churches are doing this, but but we need more to do it. And uh, it, like like me, I, I was uh, now I haven't done it in a while, but uh, I've always been willing to to teach small groups on apologetics and you don't even have to be an expert to be a teacher you can right. do a curriculum and learn learn right along with the class like uh, we did the least trouble case for christ the case for faith uh, uh small group curriculum and that was very well received mm-hmm. and very easy information to 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 <clears throat> put out there, you know uh, you know, you might not want to start with William Lane Craig. You know, I mean, you know, we might want to work our way up to that. But uh, but you can, uh, you know, I, you know, you might uh, want to be like on guard. That's basic stuff. Right, right. Uh, you know, and plus, uh, if you don't have anybody in your church that's interested, get them interested. Uh, yeah. uh, send them to. I remember uh, a church I went to actually sent me and another guy. Uh, to a science and faith conference, they they paid for it, uh, you know, because it, it was actually kind of steeper than than most of the conferences are. But mm-hmm. but they paid for us to go so that we could in turn help uh, be equipping for the church, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's volunteers out there just like you're going to have volunteers for your children's department, or your kids department, or the youth department, or you know your lawnmowers and janitors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to get some apologists on board, you know, and and uh, it's there. Like I said, there's just no excuse because of the stuff that's out there. Uh, we just got to make people aware of the need, and and just be, take the initiative and get on it. Yeah, I've <clears throat> said before that not every minister is meant to be an apologist, but they should all have the basics in apologetics. And I think I'd even extend to a layman. You're not all going to fall in love with apologetics and want to do as much as people like you and I will, but you should all have a basic apologetic beyond just your personal testimony. Right. And I I think that we've got, the churches should have an apologetics go-to guy, at least one, preferably more, and that we've we can go to so many churches we can see minister of music minister of worship minister of administration <laughs> right. how about 
a minister of apologetics. I mean, isn't that just as much an office that the church should be supporting? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I'll I'll go to pastors and I'll say, look, I'm not even going to charge you anything for what I'm doing. As much as I need the donations, I'm not going to charge you. Right. Because this needs to get out there. And it's like, hey, if I do a green enough job, you know, people will see deeper waters and donations will come in again anyway. But even if they don't, I mean, this stuff needs to go out there. And it's just amazing that so many churches, they just don't have the time to do that kind of stuff or they don't really see the need for it or anything like that. And I mean, if you do not see the need, you're just being extremely naive today yeah or or apathetic one or the uh-huh. other uh, i mean uh, a church that is concerned about discipling people which really uh, i think people have a lot of misconceptions of the purpose of the church mm. uh, a lot of them think it's it's to you know about numbers about well we've you know this many people made a decision for christ uh, is a popular oh, yeah. term these days uh but uh uh the first purpose of the church is to lift up Christ, to glorify Christ. Uh, and you can do that if, with a half a dozen people or less or or 600 people or more, you know. Uh, and uh, then the second is to make disciples. You know, it's it's not – it doesn't say – Jesus didn't say, now go make converts. Oh, he said yes. make disciples. Mm-hmm. And discipleship uh, implies learning something. Uh, and, and so, sure, a person has to be converted before they're discipled, but but we're I, I think we're focused on the converting thing without the discipleship thing, and a convert without discipleship may not as well be even a convert because if if we're not discipling people, they're probably not going to be a convert for long. Well, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Right now, my guest is Greg West, the poached egg. Now, I'm going to take next week off because it's 4th of July. A bunch of you are going to be wanting to celebrate with your friends and family, and we might find someone who wants to do something with us. We don't have any specific plans yet, but I'm just going to take that time off. But on the 11th, we are going to be back, and we are going to have one of, I hope, your favorites, one of mine, Definitely, although you could definitely say I'm biased in this case here. He's going to be back for the third time, and that's going to be Mike Lacona is going to be returning to the Deeper Waters podcast. And yes, since I'm married to his daughter, I'm a little bit biased there. But we are going to have an interesting show because I've been gathering questions from Christians and atheists. I'm trying to gather some more, and if you want to be a part of that, send send a question in to me. We are going to be playing Grill a Christian with Mike Lacona, and that's been done on Unbelievable. We're going to be talking about questions about the New Testament, the resurrection, and the historical Jesus. We're going to be just asking random questions that I've gathered from people on the internet and seeing how Mike answers them. And he has no idea what the questions are that I've gathered so far, and I am not going to tell him. And when that show comes, I'm just going to be pulling them out randomly out of a hat or something like that. So I have no idea definitely what questions are going to be on there. But if you want to see how an apologist handles questions on the spot, come in and in two weeks for Mike Lacona joining us with Grilla Christian. But, but now let's get back to Greg West here. And when you've been talking about this, one thing I've been thinking about is I remember being in a small group here. At the first church we really attended here in Tennessee, I remember a lady in the group 
thing where you know what I'm saved and my children are saved and we're just going to uh, sit back and wait and pray that Jesus comes soon and I was thinking that is the exact kind of attitude I think we have to avoid in the church because it's just all about us at that point saying well I've done my part I've got my children and we're going to wait for Jesus to come and I mean, even if you're safe, I'm saying, hey, if you do not do something about prom going on, your children are not going to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, going back to my childhood, I, I was an enthusiastic believer. I was actually yeah. planning uh, uh, on going to Bible college uh, after uh, graduating high school. I ended up going in the Army uh, instead and kind of took a, a side trip. But uh, and, and we've got even... Even people uh, going to seminary to, that lose their faith in seminary, yeah, you know, because they're not getting answers to tough questions. And mm -hmm. and you went back to your church, you know, encouraging people to ask questions. And now, Nick, you both you and I know that one of the number one excuses that uh, some of these new atheists or, or just people in general that have say they've lost their faith, when you ask them. Well, how come? And they said, because nobody would answer my question. Yep. And sometimes they're very simple questions. Sometimes they're yep. good questions. Sometimes they're yep. tough questions. But you know what? If if, if you're a pastor or a, a leader in your church and someone comes up to you and, and asks a question like, you know, maybe they've suffered a, a death in the family that Problem was uh, particularly emotional emotional, or, or just uh, – or, you know, maybe they were uh, – knew someone that was molested or you know just a lot of hard situations but if your answer is man just trust the lord that's not an answer right that that i mean yeah that we need to do that but if we're not giving them reasons for the hope that we have then then we're dropping the ball and and you know we should if we can't answer their question right then we should say well that is a really good question and i don't know the answer right now but hey let's let's go through that together and let's right. let's find the answer together. Yeah. You know, because uh, the gurus told me the same thing before. Yeah, I had the, the doubts that I had. Uh, a lot of it was triggered by uh, a failure, mm -hmm. a moral failure of Christian leadership. Um, uh, a lot of things, you know, of sexual immorality or or uh, financial. Uh, misconduct or things like that, you know, and and sometimes they were people that I re had respected, and I thought, man, if if this guy that I just thought so highly of, you know, is, is a phony, you know, then how am I, you know, yeah, you know, how do I know I'm not a phony, you know, and yeah. and so I just, you know, that kind of doubt crept in, and uh, I I just wish I would have known that that. that there, yeah. there were answers out there. You know, I should have picked up, uh, you know, a Josh McDowell book or so. You know, if someone had said, "Here, read this," uh, you know, evidence that demands a verdict or something. You know, uh, you know, I probably would have thought about it a lot harder in, instead of just being easy to. Well, I guess I'm done with that. You know, and just wipe hands of it. So you know, I mean, someone can be professing to be the, you know, or, or could be the greatest Christian that you think there is, but man, we're all human. We're all subject to temptation. And and we got to keep our eyes on Christ and not on other people because uh, human nature says that humans will fail, you know, yeah. and uh, uh, and Christ never does. So you know, I, I kind of gotten my eyes off of Christ and 
and just was like, well, if this person's a phony and this person's a phony, how do I know no, I'm not a phony? How do I know that the the Muslim that's blowing himself up for his faith, you know, uh, you know, his, he's just as sincere, if not more, than I am. So how do I know, you know, what what I think, I what I believe? How do I know it's true? So you know, yeah. it wasn't a, it wasn't an overnight thing. It, it, you know, I didn't just one day would get up out of bed and say, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. You know, it was a, just a gradual slide. And like I said, being out of that uh, Christian ghetto, you know, where you're constantly in church and constantly surrounded by believers and, you know, you get that emotional high yeah. every now and then enough to keep you going, you know, through your doubt periods or whatever, you know, take that all away. And, and I don't think uh, most people are, are going to weather uh, the storm as, as well as you did, you know. Uh, some people do, but, you know, the statistics right now are, are, you know, telling us how it is. One caveat I'd add to what you were saying about if someone comes with a problem of either, and I'm sure you'd agree with this one, is it depends on if it's happened immediately or if it's been something in the past. I mean, I've told my apologist friends, like, if you're ever a pastor at a church and a mother comes to you, for instance, and she's crying because her teenage son just died in a car accident and says, why did God allow this to happen? I said, look, if you become an apologist or a philosopher at that moment, I will come over and smack you. Right, yeah. When when it happens just then, she doesn't need an apologist right then. She needs a counselor. She needs a therapist. She needs a friend. But then later on, you can say, okay, now that we're past the emotional state, and you'll never get totally past it, but now you're able to better reason let's talk about this issue and the problem of either i really think it's it's not a hard question to answer intellectually but emotionally it's a real trap because so many people feel so strongly that the think that the feeling overcomes their thinking in this area right and interesting there was a study done in time that t- said that uh I think Dennis Prager pointed out that about how many yeah, divorces and marriages occur after a devastating event has happened, such as the, the death of a child or such, and it can be extremely common except for in marriages where the parties involved already had a place to fit either into their worldview and already had an example in their thinking of how they could deal with it. Then it was hard, but they were prepared for it. And our youth are not prepared for it. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of, you know, instilled with that. God's got a wonderful plan for your life, oh, and yeah. he does. Uh-huh. But but if we're not talking about God's wonderful plan for our life, that also happens to involve suffering, you know, we're, yeah. we're, not, we're not preparing, you know, because yeah. life... Uh, there's going to be suffering, you know, only a privileged few. Uh, in fact, I, I would say, you know, nobody's going to go through life without suffering at all. We all suffer loss, but uh, yeah, we need to be prepared for those things, you know, and, and I had one friend that basically lost his faith uh, and he was using the death of his parents who who died basically of old age and natural causes for all intents and purposes uh, as his you know why did God take my parents it's like uh, that's life we all live and yeah. die and you know that's just kind of natural and even if you know so 
you know, an unbelief. Are we going to say, well, why did, you know, why did nature take my parents? You know, I, you know, I mean, does that sound reasonable? No, it's not. You know, but uh, you know, when you were <clears throat> talking also about uh, growing up in the church, that you were an excited on fire believer, and you know, this is something else we have to keep in mind that some of us are definitely much more emotional than others to varying extent. I hardly ever get emotional about things that I hear in the church and such. But when you were talking about our youth with that, I mean, I see so many youth that go out and they go to, say, Resurrection or Centrifuge or all these other big youth events that really just tend to be big revival meetings. And they don't get apologetics equipment there, from what I understand. They go out there and they get excited. They hear a good music. They hear a concert. They hear a motivational talk. And they come back and they're really excited about their faith. And they're going out and they're telling everyone about it for a week. And then <clears throat> it's right back to normal. And eventually these kids go off to college. And we've got 18 years worth of Sunday school versus a professor who has 25 years of atheism under his belt. Who's right. going to win this battle? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, not we we can't say this is true of every professor in every university, but there are professors out there. They're gunning for your kids. Mm -hmm. Their goal is to take kids of faith and to turn them into to kids of yeah. un, unbelief, you know, or or of skepticism. And uh, that's one reason I, you know, I'm partnered with Ratio Christi, uh, which I'm very excited about, and, and and very happy about our partnership is is because they're getting apologetics into the university, you know, and uh, it's not just for Christians. I mean, uh, in in these apologetics clubs uh, that Ratio Christi has on on campuses, uh, there's atheists that come to these. Uh, meetings. There's people, uh, people of other faith that comes to them. So it's not just edifying our own. It's it's also uh, evangelism too, and it's very exciting to see. I, I've I've uh, run. I've talked to these kids and these uh, chapter directors at conferences, and man, just the the level of their excitement not not based on an emotional uh, experience. Which you know that's that's good too, but it's based on yeah. Christ risen, and that that's a fact. You know, you know, it's yeah. going back to the, you know, why did uh, the first believers start proclaiming Christ in the first place? It was because of the resurrection. You know, it's like I preach Christ crucified, and I preach Christ resurrected. You know, yeah. and it's just exciting because that's that's what the, these kids are. Uh, when you when you see a real fire in their belly for evangelism, yeah. with not just defending the faith, you know, uh, like Lee Strobel, he'll tell you he's an evangelist. He's not, he'll say I'm not an apologist. I'm an evangelist who sees that apologetics has great value in evangelism. You know, yeah. and and uh, they go hand in hand. And and like I said, if if you if you don't know if you're not aware of the need for apologetics, uh, then you're probably not evangelizing. You know, when we were talking about the way that these youth have these emotional experiences, I can't but think how much this uh, moves over into other areas of our lives. I mean, like I've said at the start of the show, Ali and I are celebrating five years of marriage <clears throat> next month on the 24th. And, you know, there have been great emotional experiences in that time, no doubt. But 
I can tell you, I'm sure you'd agree, if my marriage depended on emotional experiences, and if it depended on my feeling in love so much, I would be in very deep trouble right now. And it's amazing how many people I can meet who are in their marriage, like, well, we just don't feel like we're in love anymore. And my response is, so what? You made a vow. You made a covenant. And you are to live that covenant, and you know, every now and then those feelings are going to come back. You are going to have those high emotional experiences. That's great. But you can't make, as C.S. Lewis would say, a steady diet out of them. And if we do the same thing with our Christianity, well, heck, we're going to break that covenant too. Absolutely. And and that's what we're doing too much of. You know, uh, know, you're talking about uh, the covenant that we make in marriage, uh, you know, as, as a lifelong bachelor, that was something I, I took very seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm all for it if someone wants to write their own marriage vows or whatever, yeah. but it seems like whenever I, I go and people actually have their own vows or whatever, it's something usually like, I will always love you. You mean so much yeah. to me. You know, it's more about their feelings. Yeah. And and I wanted the traditional vows, you know, to having the hold, loving the cherish, you know, mm-hmm. you know sickness and health and, mm-hmm. and virtue of the poor, or whatever. Uh, and I told I told my wife, you know, before we went into this, I said, when we stand up there and say that, I said, I want you to know that it's not just words I'm saying because of tradition or whatever. I said, I actually mean this. I'm actually yeah. making these promises to you, you know. And I've I've seen too many. Uh, marriages that just just fall apart because it's like, well, I just don't love you anymore. No, love is a choice. Yeah, you you choose to love someone. It's just, oh, I've lost I've lost that love and feeling. You know, like the righteous brother mm. sing. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, if you say I just don't love you anymore, it's because you've chosen not to. You know, right? Uh, and and yeah, but we're we're we need to take our Christian commitment that seriously too, because yeah, if you're basing it on feelings, you're mm-hmm. you're pretty much shot from the get-and-go because uh imagine uh, uh david uh king david on his, his emotional roller coaster of his life uh-huh. <laughs> you know if he had, if his faith was, faith was based on his feelings he probably wouldn't uh, uh be the man that he was yeah when we got married we had the traditional wedding vows and the only other couple i've married myself uh, they did write up their own vows and they they uh, sent them to me first said, hey, what do you think? And I said, okay, here are some things you need to edit. And I, I got some <laughs> changes in there and such. And I said, you need to really emphasize what marriage really is, what love really is. And I mean, this is just, you know, but you have to learn the right thing to do. I've I've told people, I said, there are some mornings in the past that I'd get, get up in the morning and there'd be something going in my life, and I was angry at God. Honestly, we all go through those times. You're angry with God. What I do, I sat down at my computer and I did my projects work and I served them anyway because, hey, you know what? That's supposed to do regardless of how I'm feeling. And it, it can be so odd to defend God in the face of a problem of evil and use everything. Yeah, and I'm 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 kind of sitting wishing, yeah, God, you need to do something here as well too. And at the same time, I mean, there can be times Ari does something that gets me very upset and very angry, <laughs> but I can. Sure, that if I see someone on Facebook most times going after her, some way that I think is unjust, I'm not going to be sitting back there and saying, 
Oh, yeah, you tell Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see how you get out of this one, honey. Now, I am jumping in that one immediately and say, hey, you leave her alone. Got it? I mean, she she had a recent firestorm break out on her Facebook over the whole Bruce Jenner thing. I'm not sure if you saw it, but, yeah, she got some very offensive language thrown at her. And a lot of people quickly learn when you're on Allie's Facebook page, you better keep an eye out because her husband is usually there not too far away and he does not take kindly to people going after her. Yeah, my my wife would probably tell you the same thing because, uh, you know, as uh, as an apologist, you're always, it seems like you're kind of, you know, not only do we get flack from the, you know, the, the hardcore skeptics and anti-Christians, but, you know, we're getting it from our fellow Christians, too, if, mm-hmm. you know, we happen to believe, pick on something that's a pet uh, doctrine of theirs or something yeah. or, uh, or whatever, you know, so we get it. We tend to get it from both sides. You got to have thick skin, but yeah, my wife, I'll I'll mention something that somebody said, you know, in a tweet or something, and and she'll just get irate and livid. You know, I'm like, well, honey, that's you know, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm always I'm always easier on the the unbelievers than I am the believers because the unbelievers they have an excuse, you know, because their yeah. their mind is clouded by sin, and and the believer. To be poor thinkers, man, it's just, yeah. we just got to quit. Yeah. We just got to quit. Yeah, and, and I mean, the Christians, nothing poorly, that's a worse tragedy to me because you're supposed to represent Christ. Poor thinking does not represent him. No, no. Yeah. Now, I'd like to remind everyone at this point that this is the Deeper Waters podcast and everything we do here is listener supported. And like Greg's ministry, our advertising budget is zero. We have nothing to advertise with. Everything I do, I do it the honestly the cheapest way that I can. Avi, I use. Some people ask, "What do you use for a podcast?" I've got a microphone here. I use Audacity for the editing, and I just use an MP3 Skype recorder. That's it. And yes, the conversations are done on Skype right now because we lost the station we were on. Until we get that back, that's what you're going to have. That everything we do is supported by people like you. And, you know, we could really use your support. And honestly, this is part of a show I don't enjoy doing the most because there's something uncomfortable about asking for donations. But you have to, unfortunately. Because that's what it takes to keep the ministry going. And I'd really like to encourage you to donate. If you want to do that, just go to our website, deeperwaters.ddns.net, which is also a free service. That kind of tells you how much support we have here. And uh, there's a link on the sidebar on the left that says, Help Support the Work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You make a donation there. And it takes you to the website of Risen Jesus, which, as you know from earlier in the show, that's my in-laws there. And you go there, and you make a donation, and then you email me, and my email is on the side. It's apologianick at gmail.com. Or you email Debbie Lacona, Mike's wife, and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they will make sure that I get it. And it will be a tax-deductible donation. And I'd really encourage you to do that route. We, it really help us out. And if you can be a monthly donor, that is something we appreciate even more. I mean, you're the backbone 
of what we do here. And it, it really thrills my heart to see the donations coming in because it really tells me how much you like and support what we do and you're willing to make an investment in it. And also, if you can, go to iTunes and leave us a good review. We would really like that. We've got an Amazon store. You can buy books on Amazon that we've had on the show. And, yeah, I still need to do some work on that one. And I've got some ebooks of my own for sale, uh, Defining Inerrancy, Groundless, both of those I wrote with J.P. Holding, and then my own A Creed for the Ages, Look at the Apostles' Creed. And we've also recently had set up a link where on the side, again, where it says support us via purchasing jewelry. So, yes, guys, suppose you get an anniversary or her birthday coming up and you want to do something special, you want to buy some jewelry, well, why not do it through Deeper Waters? Just go to the link there, access code LOVE, and make your purchase, and then contact me or Lena Clester, who does the sales there, and they'll know it. Hey, I'm, I bought, and I went to go to Deeper Waters. Just When you order a state, you were referred by Deeper Waters, and here's the deal. If you do that, you, you buy the jewelry at the exact same price, and it's good quality jewelry, we get 25% of what you buy. So if you buy an item for 100 bucks, 25 bucks is going straight to Deeper Water. So you get good jewelry, you make the lady in your life very happy, and you support a ministry at the same time. And that's a win-win-win right there. Now, Greca, I'm guessing you probably want people to support the poached egg. If they wanted to do that, how do they do that? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Nick. And and first of all, before I tell that, I'd just like to encourage people to donate to your ministry and and uh, other apologetics ministry. Uh, you know, uh, uh, your father-in-law, Mike, Michael Kona, man. I mean, he's a he's a favorite of mine. That uh, uh, his book with Gary Habermas, uh, uh, the case for the resurrection of Jesus. I mean. If talking about resources to to get you equipped, that that one is a layman level book uh, that just shows you the you know uh, Gary Habermas's uh, uh, minimal facts argument. You know, uh, uh, and that's just a great one to get. And uh, uh, I always appreciate uh, uh, him and and your father-in-law Mike. Uh, uh, I've got to meet him too. At, I think at the same conference I met you at. Yep. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, you know as. I remember Hank Hanegraaff when he's asking for money on the Bible Answer Man show. He says, you know, the gospel's free, but somebody's got to put in the plumbing, you know, and and that's true. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people like you and and a lot of others that are just doing this tent maker style, and there are expenses and and uh, it's time consuming, and I believe that people should be uh, compensated for their time, but not just that, but to be able to expand the ministry you know you mentioned our advertising budget is zero and, and that's really too bad but um you know i would encourage uh people to support you and people like you and me because uh uh well i for one without the the people like you doing what you do i couldn't be a person like me doing what i do uh so you know and and it's really it's a mission field uh uh, you know, we we don't typically think of ourselves as missionaries, but uh, I was talking to one pastor one time, explaining what I do, and he goes, "Oh, so you're a missionary?" You know, and I kind of paused for a second. I said, "Well, yeah, I guess I am." And uh, you know, so it really is a mission field, and mm -hmm. and this whole thing of if someone tells you nobody comes to faith through apologetics, well, that's true in a sense because we all come to faith through the Holy Spirit, uh, but 
but God can use a number of things, and I know, and I'm sure you do too, lots of people that have uh, come to faith yep. through apologetics. Uh, mm. that, that's what planted the seed. Uh, and, and even hardcore skeptics. I've seen hardcore skeptics change. Uh, uh, I was I was more of a softcore skeptic, uh, I guess is what you could say. But yeah, uh, uh, I am a supported missionary. I'm blessed to be able to do what I do full time. But it seems like a lot of time we're just living paycheck to paycheck. But, uh, but God has always provided. But he wants uh, the people out there to partner with us in this. Uh, you know... I, I get so many people at conference. I'll be running a booth at a conference, and and I'll have person after person that tells me they never discovered apologetics until their kids walked away from the faith. You know, and it's like let's let's support these ministries and let's let's start losing people and stop losing people and start gaining people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, you can go to uh, thepoachedegg.net, and uh, we have right there on the nav bar. You've got a, a, a a donate button and uh, we accept donations uh, through Rational Christie. Uh, I'm also uh, salaried through Rational Christie, but actually most of my salary comes from my support. Uh, so, but but there's a lot more that needs to be done than than just me pay, uh, making a paycheck. And so, uh, a lot of expenses involved in this. And and if we had a bigger budget, we could reach a lot more people. Mm-hmm. So so the bottom line is is we can reach more people. Uh, if we can, if our budget can grow. So yeah, I hope people donate to you. I hope they donate to me, uh, Mike. Just, just everybody. You know, I mean, uh, everybody's got their. Uh, you know, I, I support your local church first, uh, but you know, uh, on top of that, just give as as the Lord leads you. But I hope that He's going to lay on your heart to to help support somebody. And now, when they support you through Rashio Christie, that is also tax deductible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Partnering in partnership with Ratio Christie, we're we're nonprofit, uh, so yeah, but yeah, they can. Uh, that is absolutely one hundred percent tax deductible. Yeah, when we were talking about the youth today, who most of the projects, let's, let's face it, is done because our youth desperately need it. They're the main targets right now, and when we've talked about this, we said, well. They even lose their faith in Bible college. And someone said, well, my kids aren't going to go to college or Bible college even, so they're going to be safe. And again, if you think that, you're naive because all you have to do to get your faith under attack anymore, turn on your computer. That is all you need. And I've, I've used this kind of example. Imagine a good Christian boy going on YouTube Let's say he's 13 or 14, and he's looking up a song by his favorite Christian band, and he's listening to that, and on the, link, on the side, there's a recommended link that's 10 questions about the Bible every Christian must be able to answer, or something of that sort, mm-hmm. something put out by the skeptical side. Click. That can be all it takes. Yep, just a, a, a seed of doubt is mm-hmm. is about as power as, can be almost as powerful as a seed of faith, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know. And and like I said, the the amount of influence that the the hardcore anti Christian camp uh, has compared to uh, apology. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous how much more they have out there. You can't help but stumble across a, a you know, and some of them are just mm-hmm. from the 
such absurd and bad argument. I mean, Jesus never existed. Yeah, and it's like, man, if you're an atheist, please have a better reason than you don't think Jesus existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because if 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 that's what you're basing your atheistic faith on, then then you're a bigger man of faith than me because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, it's the scholarship across the board with few exceptions uh, uh, is, you know, they, it's believed that Jesus was an historical person. And if we throw out uh, the historicity of Jesus, then you got to throw out, you know, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and, you know, and a plethora of other historical figures that nobody takes for granted. You know, nobody questions, you know, nobody questions Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great, you know, but uh, really there's there's as much uh, written evidence even outside of the Bible uh, for Jesus as, as there is for any of those guys or, or anybody from antiquity for that. So, yeah, <laughs> that I got kind of long, long-winded on that. But, yeah, if you're an atheist, please have a better reason than you don't think Jesus existed. That's yeah. that's just that's lazy thinking. Dude. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to Jerry Coyne's book because I did pull out several quotes as I was reading it because I'm going to write a long review later on but one of the things he gets hung up on is literalism anyway you have to take all of scripture literally which I'm never told what that means <clears throat> but pages 58-59 I took this out <clears throat> and I put it in a few on a few places like Facebook and VR's web and such and such is it possible to get more fail in one paragraph than in this and here it goes if you want to read much of the Bible as allegory, you must overturn the history of theology, rewriting it to conform to your liberal, science-friendly faith. Besides pretending that you're following the tradition of ancient theologians, you must also explain the way you can discern truth amid the metaphors. What is allegory and what is real? How do you tell the difference? This is particularly difficult for Christians because the historical evidence for Jesus, that is, for a real person around whom the myth created is thin. And evidence for Jesus as the Son of God is unconvincing, resting solely on the assertions of the Bible and interpretations of people writing decades after the events described in the Gospels. Now, an, an atheist reader will read that and like, oh boy, you tell him, mm-hmm. And someone like yeah. myself, I'm just doing the ultimate face problem and saying, there is so much wrong with that paragraph, I can't even begin. Yeah, and, and that's it's like some of those are just easily mm-hmm. uh, uh, rebutted or, or mm-hmm. refuted. You know, like uh, like you said, taking you know deciding what's allegory and what's you know, yeah, what does it mean to re- read the Bible literally? And I think that's a, a concept a lot of Christians misunderstand. Yeah, uh, because the Bible is is literally true, but that doesn't mean that everything in it is literal yeah. if that makes sense yeah, like I mean, when it when says god covers us with his wings he's not a bird you yeah. know i mean we know that that's metaphor because yeah, when when they say how do you know what's literal how do you know what's allegory how do you know what's a metaphor i say okay you're reading shakespeare you're reading homer you're reading anyone else how do you know well you know the real thing is you use your brain and you figure it out you follow the yes. rules of interpretation yeah, I mean, if you're going to say most of history was taking the church, taking the Bible literally, well, you haven't read history very well. I mean, you, do you know how crazy Oregon went with allegory? Do you know how much 
Augustine used allegory? Do you know about the four different styles of interpretation that the medieval church had, or that even all the different ways of interpretation the Jews had with just the Old Testament? And then you talk about how uh, things were written decades after the events happened in the ancient world. Well, geez, so was everything else practically. Yep. But then, of course, the real centerpiece right there is the evidence for Jesus is thin. And it is at this point I want to say, look, you guys, if I'm not going against your science at all, I mean, take it as much as you want, but you don't see me going out there writing books on evolution because I'm not a scientist, I don't study it, I don't know what I'm talking about that area. Could you give me the same sort of respect with the New Testament and history and philosophy if you don't know it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is that our children are seeing this kind of thing on the internet. I, I, I'm amazed that a film like Zeitgeist caught so much attention. It's full of bogus nonsense. And when my roommate and I got done watching it, we were just sitting there wondering, okay, who do we sue to get the last two hours of our lives back? <laughs> no kidding. And yet, at the same time, you know how many people have probably lost their faith because of Zeitgeist? Yeah, I personally know two people mm -hmm. uh, that were professing Christians and lifelong churchgoers. Now, I don't know. I can't judge whether they actually were Christians or not. Uh, I just have to take them at their word. Mm -hmm. But who cite zeitgeist as for the catalyst that caused them to lose their faith. Right. I'm like, man, that is some shaky mm -hmm. evidence. Because I'll tell you, there are even atheist websites that are debunking zeitgeist mm -hmm. you know they're they're saying don't use this as an excuse yeah. for atheism because it's horrible right you know i'm like man if you, people in your own camp are saying that you might want to listen to them because mm -hmm. i tell you that they're uh i i try if you got through the whole thing i you have my hat is off to you Nick, i did i did i i was the first 10 minutes i was like uh, you know, you know, after you get through that hodgepodge of, uh, I don't know what that intro is at the beginning. It's like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? You know, really nothing. It's just, uh, kind of trying to condition your mind a little bit to make you more open to what they're, what they're going to say. But yeah, the, there, there is no serious scholarship in that. And, and I tell you this whole, uh, Jesus Smith, first of all, read the book, The Case for the Real Jesus by Lee Strobel. Uh, he investigates it thoroughly, uh, and there's probably half a dozen others. Uh, uh, visit Stephen J. Bedard's website. He's He does great work on, on the Jesus myth. Uh, but really, the whole that Jesus is, you know, a recycling of all these other Greek and Roman gods or whatever, that's, it's just hogwash, a cursory investigation, just, you know, a few minutes of just light work in investigating the claims of zeitgeist will show you that it has no basis in reality. The thing is, on the internet, misinformation can spread so quickly. And uh, so you know, easily. Abraham Lincoln said the same thing. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah we need for, to, by the way, we also know Abraham Lincoln never existed as well. We got so many Lincolnists out there who just hold on to this myth of a real Abraham Lincoln. It, 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 it's mind blowing. But I've seen people share stories and quotes on Facebook that are supposed to be from people saying certain things about how they did certain things. 
And when I see a quote like that, for instance, the first thing I'm doing, I'm taking a, a sufficient piece of it, putting it in a search box on Google, looking, seeing if I can find that quote myself, see where it came from. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many of these quotes are bogus, even if they're being used by people to support a cause that I can agree with, they're using a bad quote. I mean, there was a conservative website that a couple months or so ago had a post up with a quote by a Muslim who was supposedly saying the earth was flat, or something of that sort. And all these, uh, all these people were calling me and saying, boy, look how stupid these people are. This is dumb. Can you believe when actually believes that? And I was one looking like, hmm, let's look at this. Went and looked, seeing if I could find the quote. Couldn't find any reference to it. In fact, I found out that it was a fake account set up by someone to make fun of this guy, and it was attributed to this Muslim. I thought, you know what? I'm opposed to Islam. I don't support it, but if we are going to take down our opponents, let's do it in truth. And so there, and I did write out a blog post exposing this and saying, yeah, this isn't what's being said, and I put it up there, and the said recited it, shame for putting this up, check your sources better, and I, I was relieved to notice that a day or two or so, that post had disappeared from their site. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I did a little bit of good here, but, I mean, even even my own family have sometimes shared quotes that are false, and when they share them, they're false, I'll say, no, that's not what's happening. My dad used to send out these large group emails with these supposed facts about what the, the current administration is doing, and yeah, I don't care about that administration at all. I'm very conservative in my politics, but it'd be this long forward, and I'd look, and I'd do some checking, and say, no, this isn't true, and I'd hit reply all, and say, everyone, here's what the facts really are here. We have to be people of truth, and if we share these kinds of stories online that are fake, that seriously damages our reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we need to be concerned about truth. Um, You know, even if it goes against something that might not be what we traditionally believe, you know. Um, uh, Jesus was obviously concerned with truth, and uh, uh, in fact, he claimed to be the very embodiment of truth itself. Mm -hmm. You know, so I I think we need to be too... um, you know, I'm not going to try to fool myself into think. I mean, we all want what we think is true to be true, yep. but I'm not going to fool myself and, and say that I know 100% that everything I think is true. But but I want to I want to find out if it is or not. And, and right. I think we all need, you know, we tend to think of skepticism and doubt as apologists uh, or as Christians in general as a bad thing. But, you know, I think we all need a healthy dose yeah. of skepticism, and especially the skeptic, because they're always skeptical of everything except their own skepticism. Right. Uh, I, I think it's funny that uh, I, uh, William Dembski, I, I believe it was him, it, I, I may have been mistaken, it may have been one of those other uh, ID guys, but uh, offered to write a column for uh, Skeptic Magazine about, you know, being skeptical of evolution, of course. Michael Shermer turned it down and said, no, thank you. It's like, well, wait a minute. How come we're skeptical of everything else, but we're not, you know, skeptical of uh, what we ourselves believe? So, yeah, yeah, I think everybody needs a little healthy healthy dose of skepticism. And, and man, I would encourage everybody out there to, 
if if you're a professing Christian, really dig into the truth claims of Christianity, and and it'll it'll you'll grow as a Christian, you'll grow as a disciple. Uh, I believe I said in in one post that you know when you're faced with the stark reality of of the existence of Christ and the resurrection, you know that's that's got to make you think, and if it doesn't, then yeah. then your 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 apathy is probably a problem. Yep. There was even a time when my father-in-law, as I said, Michael Kona, showed me a thing. We were talking one time, and we talked about we talk about apologetics, and if Gary Habermas is there, we talk about apologetics still too. And he gave me this reference about how Bart Ehrman says in his book on the problem of evil that says that he sometimes woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat terrified that Christianity could still be true well that is really really good but I didn't tell it to anyone because I said that is so good I want to check it first and make sure that Mike's remembered this properly because you know I mean as much as you respect your favorite apologist they're yeah. not infallible no. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. So I went and I looked and I saw it. I said, yeah, that's what he says there. Okay. So then I was able to say, yeah, this is what he says here. Because if we're not checking up on these things, we're just doing bad research at that point. We're just believing something because it already agrees with us. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be more prone to take Mike seriously where he says, and if there is an event that can't be repeated, like something he saw at a talk and it's not out yet, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But if right. it's something I can check up on, I'm going to check up on it. Absolutely, and and I encourage everybody to mm -hmm. do that. You know, it's whether uh, you know, I saw a, a YouTube video of of some lady was speaking in the church, and she was chastising the congregation about don't ever question your pastor or don't ever question anything he says because God's put him there and blah blah I'm like wow this is so unbiblical it's it's insane because mm -hmm. uh you know we're supposed to uh check out what they say uh you know when when Paul went to the Bereans you know the first thing they did was start checking out what he was saying yep. uh, you know of course they had the old Testament, but to see if he what he was saying is true and man you know uh how are we going to uh identify false teachers if we're just accepting in blind faith, you know, well, he's the pastor. He knows what he's talking about. You know, maybe he doesn't. <laughs> you know, when it comes I to, hope he does. When it comes to the Internet, I mean, we, we laugh when we see the commercial. But I'm thinking about that State Farm commercial that we've all seen, I'm sure, with uh, they saying, saying well, I, I, I believe it because I read it on the Internet. And you can't put anything on the Internet that's not true. Where did you hear that on the Internet? Oh, here comes my guest. He, here comes my date. He's a French model. Uh, bonjour. I mean, we laugh when we see that commercial, but we only laugh because there are some people who are exactly like that. And yep. I, mean, I, I think about these people who say, like, you have this question, why don't you just Google it? Yeah, have, you, have you ever considered, you know, maybe doing something like, I don't know, going to a library instead of just relying on Google? And, oh, that's crazy talk, man. Yeah, and of course, let's not forget about everyone's favorite source online, which... I refer to as the abomination that causes misinformation, and that's Wikipedia. <laughs> and I say, look, if I'm in a debate with someone and they put up a link from Wiki, I say, look, I am not even checking it, okay? Because I do not use Wiki. I do not trust Wiki 
at all. I do not support the use of wiki. Now, if it was something like, say, pop culture, and you're looking up uh, a wiki file on your favorite pop culture item or such, right. like, like, say, Allie and I just got done watching my first season of The Flash, and if you're going to The Flash wiki, okay, that's not something that I'm going to complain about. But if you're talking about a serious academic topic and you're using Wikipedia, you're asking for trouble. I mean, I just want to say you see people, okay, who wrote that article? What are their qualifications? How do you know? As well, there are references at the bottom. Okay, go check the references then and yep. then tell me what the references say. Yeah, I, 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 the Internet is, is both a curse and a blessing. I mean, uh you know it's 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 it enables the uh the critics and hardcore skeptics uh it's enabled them to get all their information out but at the same time it's it's a blessing because we're seeing a resurgence uh you know of apologetics and uh uh you know and and I'm just all about the truth of Christ being proclaimed yeah uh you know and and most people are going to reject mm-hmm. Christ and Christianity you know that's that's just the way it is. Uh, uh, Jesus, you know, you know, like with the current cultural climate, you know, a lot of people seem shocked and surprised when when we shouldn't be. This is the yeah. way it's going to go, you know. And uh, uh, you know, I think back, uh, uh, you know, when uh, Noah and the Ark, uh, you know, Noah was the only righteous man uh, on the planet. And and Jesus said that in the end times it will be as it was in the days of Noah, you know, and and that's what we're seeing. Of course, I'm not uh, calling dates here because I, I believe we've been in the end times since Jesus ascended to heaven. But uh, uh, you know, uh, no one knows the day or the hour. But but I think just part of being ready is is just proclaiming the the truth of Christ. And uh, man, I'll, I'll talk to anybody to listen. You know, mm-hmm. if, uh, if it's a pastor, you know, asking me how to get. Uh, apologetics and, uh, incorporated in their church ministry, or or just a friend who's who's kind of a skeptic and has some issues with Christianity. You know, I'll talk, I'll talk to anybody, and it's not embarrassing. You know, uh, I, I used to be, you know, it used to be hard to, uh, hey, did you know? You know, you don't have to start out with Jesus loves you and died for your sins. You know, I mean, yeah, he does, and he did, uh, but you know, there's so much more to it than that, and you can just use every day, you know, just, hey, what do you think of that? You know, pick a current event or something. And well, well, why do you think that way? And then, you know, that can open up the door to all kinds of things. And when you're uh, equipped, and like I said, I, I don't know the answer to everything. I consider myself a mediocre apologist yeah. at best. But um, just sometimes the basic answers that are easy to learn can really kind of set people back and get them get open their mind to, to thinking about things. It seems like many times we're using 1950s evangelism techniques in a 2010 world. Yes. Yeah, and we are worlds apart mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. Worlds apart. You can't just go up to someone nowadays and say, the Bible says so and so. I mean, back in the past, everyone still had at least some respect for the Bible. Today, it's the Bible instead Right. You can find websites like Evil Bible and things of that sort. And but also we do have to say the internet is definitely a blessing in some ways because heck it if it wasn't for the internet we wouldn't be doing the show right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I, I wouldn't be uh mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You know, yeah. and, and I I'm uh you know, there's not a lot of the the people that 
are making a living as apologists mm-hmm. are few and far between. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that we're opening the door for more. I know Rashford Christie's opening uh, doors for full-time apologetics ministry. But right now, really, if you're not uh, teaching or cranking out books and lecturing, uh, chances are you're not making a living in, as an apologist. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, there's more schools now, uh, more seminaries are getting on board with the apologetics program more than ever. Yeah. Uh, but, but we still need more and there's, there are going to be demand for teachers, but, but right now the waiting line, uh, is long. But, and now I don't want to discourage anybody from pursuing, uh, apologetics as a career or, or a career ministry. Uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, or teaching, or what I encourage people to go get a degree in apologetics, get a master's degree, uh, yeah. uh, or at least get a you know a good cert- certification program. It doesn't have to be accredited. Yeah. You know, just uh, get some training. But I'm telling you, you don't have to wait for formal training. You can start right now with just a few simple books or a couple of websites. Uh, and like I said, there's just no really no excuse for not yeah. equipping yourself. We're all busy. I'm busy. You're busy. You know, our pastors are busy. Or everybody's busy. But you just got to, there's some things you just have to make time for, and learning to defend the faith is one of them. Sorry, yeah. I hope you hear my dog barking. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember talking to someone yesterday about all this, and it was a good, friendly conversation, but I was being blunt at the same time, but I don't need to deal with the issues of the day and said we have to be equipping ourselves we have to be learning how to dialogue and now and you know maybe you're not an apologist but you need to be out there supporting and encouraging those who are and right now we've reached a point in time that if you are not part of a solution in getting apologetics out there you are part of a problem yes sir yeah. I mean every single issue we have going on today it ties in with apologetics somehow. If you're going to talk about the Supreme Court, it's apologetics. If you're going to talk about ISIS, it's apologetics. If you're going to talk about cults, it's apologetics. Any issue that comes up, it has relevance to apologetics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why uh, learning apologetics, it just helps us to be better thinkers, right. which helps us to be better discerners, which it's just good. Oh, you know, it helps you in theological studies and textual criticism. I mean, the the scope of apologetics is, the broadness is just huge. You know, and, and you know, like I said, I, I can't go to a movie nowadays without, you know, picking apart, you know, it actually it's kind of fun a little bit, but, yeah. but it really does yeah. affect every aspect of our lives, yeah. but especially our Christian life. And it, it definitely improves your worship as well, because, I mean, can you imagine if I said to you, Greg, Harry and I have a great relationship, but I don't really want to know anything more about her. I just want to love her. That's all. And you'd be thinking, okay, that sounds really sweet and sentimental, but you're crazy yeah. if you think that way. Yeah. But that's exactly what we do with God. Yep. Yeah, you know, they they respond to an invitation or an altar call. What mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty diverse these days the way we do it. But, uh, uh, you know, and we think, Okay, our job's done. You know, it's yeah. like no, it's it's only just begun. Yeah. You know, and and uh, I, I know now the church I grew up in, it it didn't specifically teach that, but that's the impression that I got growing up. You know, yeah. so I just get them to church, hope they'll get 
convicted somehow and, you know, give their life to Christ, you know, and, and a lot of those conversions that I saw, you know, it's like they, a lot of times they didn't last. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to compare covenants for covenant marriage, I always tell people, you're better off if you know who you're jumping into bed with, just ask Jacob. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <coughs> and we, when we just don't do this, we're doing a disservice to our youth. And if we stop at conversion, it's like stopping at the marriage ceremony, saying, "Okay, you don't need to worry more about about the marriage. You've done you've done it all. No, you've just got started." Yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of the way we're thinking, and, and it's just wrong. And I tell you, it's hard work uh, shifting the, you know, shifting the tide. It, it's it's a lot of work, and I I want to encourage those like you uh, who are just out there doing it, you know, taking the initiative and and starting a blog or leading a small group or whatever. Just keep at it. Just just please. Some people are are. You know, not not only are there churches that are ignorant of apologetics uh, or apathetic, but there's some that are also uh, hostile to it. Uh, and there's there there's no reason they should be. It is not antithetical of faith. Uh, it's it's man, I could I could the the biblical case for apologetics is sound. It's it's irrefutable. Uh, the notion of of faith is just something that it's a belief. Uh, you know, it's it's is a misconception, and and we're you know it's it's bad enough that the atheists uh, redefine biblical faith, but we've got too many Christians that they do that do too. You know, and and uh, man, you know, and going back to this financial support, you know, about uh, getting people, you know, it's easier. You know, I'm not saying that. Uh, Missionaries aren't worthy. Obviously, I'm not. But but it's easier for like a a, a missionary to another country uh, to raise funds among believers because everybody knows what missions are, you know. And you know, you have the Great Commission, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's biblical." But we even have to explain what apologetics is before you can, you know, start getting people to support you. You know, so um, you know we. I find it sad that the the generally your new atheists know more about what apologetics is than your average believer. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, uh, we've reached a point in our show where we have to start bringing things to a close. Now, this question should be obvious at the start here since we talk about it so much, but do you have a blog or a website or a way that people get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Absolutely, I do. Uh, you can go to www.thepoachedegg.net. Uh, that's our main website. Uh, that'll get you to the home page. There's all kinds of uh, videos and featured articles there. But uh, our our main draw is is the blog, uh, which, like I said, during the week you can expect, uh, you know, a good handful of, of new articles a day, uh, or even some old recycled ones that we think uh, deserve. Uh, uh, re-putting out there, but uh, yeah, I, I hope if you if you haven't heard of the poached egg, uh, I hope you'll come and visit and and uh, just let me say that I'm so thankful uh, for the apologetics community for supporting it. Uh, uh, it's just uh, uh, I, I want to thank Brian Otten of Apologetics 315 who uh, who's been one of the he's uh, 
kind of similar to me, but he was a big inspiration for me. And, uh, you know, his specialty is kind of audio and video and interviews and stuff like that. And we do those too, but kind of our specialty is, is putting out what, what other people are doing and, and finding up and coming apologists and, and promoting the ones that are out there already doing it, you know, so, so you're going to find, uh, some big names out there like Lee Strobel and RC Sproul and, and, uh, uh, some people like that, 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 are more household names, uh, but then you're gonna you're gonna find some people like Nick, Nick Peters that maybe not everybody's heard of that's uh, got some good things to say and uh, uh, pointing people your way. So uh, so thanks again very much, Nick, for having me. I appreciate it so much, brother. Yeah, do you have any final words you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience? Well, I, I think I just about covered <laughs> it, uh, but but hey, it was it was great, it's fun. I appreciate. Uh, our financial supporters, I appreciate those who are, man, there, there are a lot of people out there that are following us on social media that are retweeting, sharing, liking. That stuff gets us, you know, maybe you can't give money, but that stuff it, it with an yeah. advertising budget of zero uh, really helps us uh, get exposure. So when you're, yeah. you know, if you're in a Christian group on Facebook and you think that something we put out uh, might be a good fit for that you know we appreciate the shares and the likes and uh you know another thing i see is people in the comments tagging their friends you know uh you know which is kind of a shout out to hey uh, you might be interested in reading this and and i appreciate that stuff i can't thank everybody but i i tell you the people who are doing it the most often and and all the time i appreciate it and i i do notice even if i just can't get with you all and thank you all personally i i do appreciate that because uh, one, we couldn't do what we do without apologists like you, Nick, doing what they're doing. But we also couldn't do it if people weren't coming and and reading the stuff that we're putting out and and uh, help spreading the word. Well, Greg, I'd like to thank you for coming on. I hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Hey, I hope so too. And maybe I'll get one of these started and we'll have you on. Excellent. But I'd like to remind everyone that in two weeks we're going to be back again. Mike Lacona is going to be back here with us for Greer Christian. I hope you'll be there. For now, I am Nick Peters, and I am signing off.